0: Um, It's lovely to see everybody here. Thank you so much for coming. It's great to have so many people uh, from the Southwest Gospel Partnership, lots of different churches gathered here today. So do make good use in the breaks and at the end to talk to one another and get to know somebody you didn't know before. Um, It's my pleasure to welcome you this morning. I'm uh, Alison Evans. I'm a member at Grace Church, who are hosting this event today. And it's great to have, um, who, who else to ask about helping us to think through this subject, the Gospel and Mental <laughs> Health, but BC UK, the Book of in the UK. I don't know if you have had anything to do with their resources or look at them up on the web, but I would recommend that because they have some wonderful resources and books and study modules that um, you can, you can, uh, work with and equip yourself with and uh, the Lord has really used that in my life over the last two years to really bless me and help me think a different way about the fact that as we walk through life together we are all sufferers and sinners and saints and the Lord ministers to us in all of those ways and uh, from BCUK Helen Thorne, we've like great to come it Helen, it's great to have Helen and I had the pleasure to write it the same with me last night, so lots of lovely conversations. Uh, but when you were last year, Helen, you um, hinted that you had a new role and a new job, but you wouldn't tell us what it was at that time. So can you fill in some gaps?
1: I just left my old job last time I was in Bristol, which uh, was a, a great sadness, uh, but I couldn't yet tell you that I was going to be employed by Biblical Counselling UK. Uh, and I've been there since July 2020 now as their director of training and resources, which means I get to spend 50% of my time uh, wandering around uh, the country, speaking to lovely people like you about connecting uh, the really hard realities of life to the riches of scripture. Uh, and the other 50% of my time uh, sitting in front of my computer, typing out resources, books, blogs, and things like that. I can't actually believe they pay me. They really shouldn't, it's such fun. They pay you to do
0: something that you love. So what's the best part of your job?
1: Oh, it's so hard, there are so many, so many good bits. I think it's just seeing the stories of people's lives transformed by the gospel. Um, whether I'm chatting to someone that's a little bit anxious but they're discovering that God is a good king or whether I'm speaking to someone that has been a, a crack addict for 20 years and they're just beginning to believe that there is hope of freedom. Uh, just seeing people go on that journey of transformation and hope uh, makes me want to praise and sing and sometimes do a little dance. Yeah. <laughs> Usually in private for the dance uh, rather than public, um, but it, it, is a, it is a joy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, Helen's written quite a few books and they all have very positive titles. I've lost um, So real change, so there's a you know, really hopeful theme there. Purity is possible. Hope in an Anxious World and Walking with Domestic Abuse Sufferers.
1: Any others? There are, yeah, there are, there are a few lurking around. Uh, it's a standing joke uh, that if it's a really uncomfortable topic. Helen's written a book on it. Yeah. So my first book was on self-harm and then my second book was on purity slash pornography and then the third one was on domestic abuse. Believe me, if you say that at any dinner party, everyone stops talking to you. <laughs> Which is why, one of the reasons why I wrote a book on anxiety, because people are happy to chat about that, so I thought that was a good way forward. Also, Jesus, that was the other reason I wrote about anxiety.
0: If you Google Helen, though, remember the E on Thorn because I did Google her last night, and there's also another Helen Thorne who's written some other books. Oh my goodness me, I dread to think. I guess you didn't write, Get Divorced, Be Happy. <laughs> I don't
1: remember writing that one. <laughs>
0: We're looking so much forward to hearing you talk about this topic
1: this morning. Well, it is an absolute joy uh, to be with you here this morning. Uh, I was saying to some friends that I, was, um, I did some studying in Bristol about 20 years ago now. Uh, and so it always feels a little bit like coming home uh, when I'm in Bristol. Uh, although that was a very long time ago. Uh, What we're going to be doing over the course of this morning is going to be looking at this topic of gospel and mental health. Uh, We're going to be in two sessions. The first session is going to be looking a lot about what mental health and mental illness is, understanding uh, where it's come from, how it feels, that kind of thing. Uh, And then after coffee, in our second session, we're going to be looking more at what we can do as a church to help each other uh, and how we can promote good mental health uh, in ourselves and, and in those that we care about. Uh, I'm very conscious that this is a, a topic that impacts us all. Uh, some of us deeply personally will be struggling with uh, a lot of mental health issues and we'll know the, the depths of the pain of that. Uh, others of us will have friends and family that we care about deeply that are struggling and have maybe been struggling in the last 18 months uh, much more uh, than in the past. Others of us will just be in churches where we, we know people uh, that are having a hard time. Uh, And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be working through these issues, uh, I hope biblically and wisely and practically. Uh, I'm I'm not going to try and train you to be doctors or or mental health nurses or psychiatrists. That's not what we're about this morning. I'm not going to be doing a lot of technical stuff. This is about us being church together. This is about us being Christians together and what we can do and what we can say and how we can think to spur people on when they're really struggling uh, with their mental health. Of course, that means uh, there are going to be limits. Uh, We can't make people better. Uh, We can't make ourselves better. That's a new creation thing. We're heading towards healing. We're heading towards wholeness. Uh, But now we are in this broken world. And so I'm not going to be giving you five ways to make mental illness go away this morning. I I wish I could in some ways, but that's up for Jesus to do when he returns. But what we will be doing uh, is looking at how the unlimited God, the God who's king of creation, can make a real difference us and to those we care about in the here and now. Uh, I'm conscious that I'm not gonna be too graphic, I'm not gonna go too uh, into sensitive issues, um, but if it does sort of touch (coughs) on anything uh, that's really personal to you, feel free to take a time out. Just go for a walk, uh, pop to the loo, get a fresh air. No one's gonna judge you uh, if you do that. Uh, Take the time that you need uh, and then come back and join us uh, whenever you feel ready. Well, with that in mind, uh, what I'm going to do is do a little bit where you're turning to a neighbour. Now, I'm very conscious that in a a seminar or a couple of seminars on anxiety and depression and mental health struggles, um, being asked to turn to your neighbour and talk to a complete stranger is the sort of thing that can massively increase your anxiety (laughs) uh, and other struggles. So whenever I say, turn to your neighbour, please hear these words. If you feel up for it, please turn to your neighbour. If you don't feel up for it, just lower your head and you know, give that visual signal to the people around you that you'd prefer just to have a quiet moment of reflection. And that's fine, uh, no problem doing that. But you know, basically, you're probably either sitting next to someone you love, in which case it's safe, or you're sitting next to someone you've never met before, in which case you never need to talk to them again after today. <laughs> uh, so either way, hopefully, uh, you'll feel able to have a bit of a chat. We're not gonna be doing a lot of feeding back to the front, so don't feel you have to say anything if that feels too stressful. There will be a Q&A at the end. So the question, uh, just to get us all uh, going, there we go. Uh, what does it look like to be mentally healthy? If you were to imagine a mentally healthy person, how would you describe them? Just two minutes, with the person next door.
0: Okay, let's
1: uh, come back together again.
0: I know that was only a really
1: short period of time, but um, just to get you going. Lovely, thank you very much. Well, the World Health Organization describes it like this. I don't know what you came up with. I, I had to smile slightly when I heard four different voices at the start of that go, well, not me. <laughs> There's a little echo around the room. This is what the World Health Organization uh, says. Mental health is not just the absence of a mental disorder. It's defined as a state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to her or his community. Sounds quite nice, doesn't it? That is uh, the World Health Organization's definition. Of course, there's not a lot of Jesus in there, as you wouldn't expect from the World Health Organization, so what would maybe a a healthy Christian life look like? Uh, Well, the book of Hebrews uh, would give us a bit of a glimpse. Someone who is able to live in the context of a painful, fallen world with broken bodies, as we all have, and is willing to engage in the call to persevere through life with our eyes fixed on Jesus Able to express our emotions to the Lord and rely on him wholeheartedly. And together with the people around us, continue to worship him, become more like him and live for him in the ways we think, speak and act towards others. That is the Hebrews vision. It's um, from lots of different uh, verses. Hebrews vision of what it is to be a healthy person. Now, It may be that there are some aspects of that that surprise you. Uh, I remember if you were to rewind time a few years, I would think that uh, a mentally healthy Christian would be someone that is unaffected by the stuff that goes on. There's someone that's able to just cope. You know, that sort of person that just soars across life and doesn't seem to flap about anything, never gets down, never cries, is always content. You may have met one, I may not. The Christian healthy life, the mentally healthy Christian life, is not soaring unaffected over the pain of this life. It's deeply affected by the pain of this life. But able to keep going. Think of Jesus, uh, the man who looked at Jerusalem and saw uh, the unbelief there and wept. When he saw something that was wrong in this life, his emotions were moved and he cried. You see the the great people of the the Bible, uh, people like uh, Elijah, who who in the face of desperate uh, discouragement lay face down on the dirt. That is the normal Christian life. We're not called to be people that aren't affected. I I remember getting horribly wrong in a conference about 10 years ago. I was speaking about grief, um, and I was speaking about the time uh, when my parents had just died. Uh, It was a horrible period in my life, um, but I wanted to kind of go, God is good, uh, and I'm trusting him, and and we're keeping going. Uh, And someone came up to me afterwards and said, Helen, I just want to be like you. You know, the ego kind of puffs up slightly at that point. And he goes, I want to be like you, just completely unaffected by the bad stuff. I thought, oh, no. No, 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 no. That's not what we're called to at all. And sometimes I think, you know, we, we want to live that victorious Christian life, don't we? We always want to be rejoicing. We always want to be confident. We always want to be happy. We always want to be uh, able to cope. But that's not what Hebrews says. About being mindful of the pain around. Keeping going. But keeping going in relationship with Christ. And keeping going in relationship with others. Well, if that's what good mental health would look like, either from a secular or a a Christian perspective, what does mental illness look like? Well, mental illness, uh, and this is a a quote from a a book on mental illness written by a Christian, uh, Alan Thomas, published by IVP. Definitely worth a read if you're interested uh, in this kind of area. Mental illness is a a behavioral syndrome. Uh, That means it's just a collection of signs and symptoms. Uh, the result from a response to some objective causes and that can be something from outside you or or inside you uh, that might be physical or psychological so sometimes our struggles are caused by our biochemistry Uh, sometimes they're caused by our experiences and our interpretation of those experiences Uh, and those signs and symptoms produce clinically significant impairments in everyday functioning which just means it makes life hard Mental illness is is stuff, it's experiences that happen to us, it's it's biochemistry that's going wrong in us over a period of time that makes life really difficult. And it can express itself in a whole host uh, of different ways. There are a whole load of different diagnoses and you've probably come across at least some of those, I won't bother reading out the list. Things like depressive disorders and anxiety disorders are pretty common. Especially over lockdown, how many of us have felt anxious, how many of us have felt much, much lower uh, than we normally would. Uh, Some of these are are much more specialized, uh, and we don't see them quite as often on a day-by-day basis, at least not if we're not working in the medical profession. And each of those uh, categories, which come from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders, which is a huge book, uh, and basically the handbook for psychiatrists across the world, Uh, And if it falls on your head from an upstairs shelf, it hurts. I know. (laughs) Those things all have a spectrum. You know, anxiety can be anything from a generalized anxiety disorder, where we feel a a bit anxious day by day over a period of weeks, through to things like post-traumatic stress disorder, where people are facing flashbacks and uh, nightmares and and having real trouble uh, engaging with the realities of life because the past is so very painful. Well, I don't know how you feel as you look at that list there. Thinking about mental health is it's not too tricky, but some of those things, well, maybe they feel a, a little bit scary. So it's worth digging out what those labels actually are, <coughs> what those descriptions are. You see, often when it comes to medical things, we think of labels or diagnosis as describing uh, the cause uh, you know, with COVID-19, you know, if you've got COVID, uh, then there is a, a particular virus in you that's causing a bit of chaos in your body. There, there's a cause, uh, and we label it because of the cause. But with psychiatric disorders, with mental illness, we're, we're not labelling the cause. We're we're labelling the behaviours. We're labelling what we can see. It's not like there's a bug that causes bipolar. It's not like there's a bacteria uh, that causes schizophrenia. They're, what we're labelling is is how we can engage with. Uh, what's going on? Uh, and the psychiatrists that have been working in this field for, for hundreds of years now uh, with different names uh, are just wonderful at giving us descriptions of what these different conditions are like. If you hear the word bipolar or if you hear the word uh, depression, you, you, can, you can look up the typical ways that someone like that is going to be feeling or acting. And those classifications are enormously helpful. We have such gratitude for those in the, mental, uh, the medical profession. Uh, And if that's you, thank you uh, so much for all that you do. But they don't always give us an explanation of of why those things are happening. So, for example, someone with borderline personality disorder, we're not always sure why they have come to the place where they are displaying those signs and symptoms. And now, actually, about 60% of people with borderline personality disorder have experienced some kind of abuse So it seems likely that actually experiences are actually fueling uh, something like borderline personality disorder, but there could be some biochemistry in there as well. Um, But we're not always sure. When you've got a diagnosis that can be very helpful in uh, getting access to therapy, it can be very helpful in working out what kind of medication would be useful. And medication is a wonderful gift from God uh, for people who are struggling to use. But of course, how these things are experienced and described in different cultures varies. Uh, For example, going back to the issue of grief in England, if you go to a funeral, uh, you're likely to see people being very quiet. There there might be a few tears here and there, a lot of hugs when we're able to do that. Uh, But it tends to be a relatively quiet experience. If you go to other parts of the world, the grief experience is, is far louder. Uh, A wailing, uh, an outpouring of grief where communally everyone is crying together very loudly and very expressively. What we expect from behaviour varies. It's it's not standardised across the world. And that means something that some people would consider a mental illness in in one country. Uh, Other people consider perfectly normal uh, in another. It's an absolute minefield. Thankfully, we don't have to do any of the diagnosing. Uh, We just have to walk alongside. And of course, when it comes to these labels, uh, a lot of us uh, nowadays will will use these labels in quite casual ways. I have a friend who, who likes her sock drawer very ordered. In fact, the day after I moved house and she had to deal with the chaos of my boxes everywhere, the first thing she did was go back and order her sock drawer. It brought a sense of calm in her mind. Is that quirky? Probably a little bit. But you know, her friends describe it as OCD. Is it technically OCD? No, it's not. Uh, But we often uh, use these words very lightly, uh, and that can be quite hard for the people that really are struggling with these conditions. Um, But also, it can mean that sometimes we get a a little bit of a a casual attitude to what mental illness really is. Being sad is not the same as depression. Being a little bit worried is not the same as anxiety. Uh, The actual diagnoses have a bit of weight to them. And in churches, we can have a slightly love-hate relationship with these diagnoses. Uh, It's what uh, a colleague of mine calls the Goldilocks principle. We can be a little bit too warm to these diagnoses, or we can be a little bit too cold to these diagnoses. But we very rarely get it just right. What do I mean by that? Sometimes I think when we think of mental illness, we think in the medical model. That it's all about biochemistry. That, it's, that what we need most is therapy. And actually the church has got nothing to say. I was chatting to, to one minister a few years ago about a member of her, his congregation who had tried to take her own life. And his contention was, this person doesn't need a pastor, this person needs a psychiatrist. Too cold. Too cold. The gospel always has something to say, even on mental illness. There is no part of this world, no part of the human experience that is outside of the Lordship of Christ. The gospel always has something precious to say. But but I've chatted to to other people in in other kind of theological persuasions that have just been um, going, well, actually all you need is the gospel. You don't need medication, you don't need therapy, you don't need to see your doctor, you just need to believe, just pray, and you will be fine. It doesn't help either. We're embodied souls. Our fleshly bits, our biochemistry, our neurotransmitters, they go wrong, and we need medical help with that. Therapists have spent years working out what is useful. A lot of what they do is so helpful in helping us persevere. As Christians, we want to be people who try our best to get it just right. Embracing medication where it's needed, listening to the medical professionals because they've got a wealth of experience but always knowing that Jesus is what people need most. And the power of the gospel can transform the the addict, uh, the the lives of the anxious, uh, give hope to the depressed. Even in the, the biggest turmoil of psychosis, provide a rock on which to cling. Of course, it's also worth saying that these diagnoses, these labels that we've been looking at, they're never someone's identity. I mean, I've had a number of diagnoses over the years of uh, things like depression. I'm not the depressed one. That's not who I am. Uh, And if you've got a diagnosis, that is not who you are. If you're following Jesus, you are a precious and loved child of God. You are chosen and called and adored and secure in his family. You are set apart for a purpose of holiness. You are welcomed into that mission of that great salvi- salvation mission of spreading the gospel across the land. That is who you are, precious chosen child who happens to struggle with depression, who happens to have an eating disorder, who happens to struggle with anxiety. The diagnosis describes part of us, but it doesn't describe the whole of us. We're not defined by what we struggle with. Well, if any of that feels familiar, either from your own personal experience or from friends and family, please know that you are not alone. These are some of the statistics, Uh, and most of these statistics were pre-pandemic. Every week, one in six adults (coughs) experience a a common mental health struggle. (coughs) It's about 80 of us here today, so what would that mean? My maths is not very good. 12, 13 of us um, actually struggling significantly uh, with a mental health struggle, possibly more than that, given the topic that we're discussing this morning. A lot of people will have considered taking their own life. One in five. How many of that? 20 of us will have considered that at some point, at least. Anxiety and depression, uh, are prevalent Uh, anxiety. 6% of the general population struggle with anxiety at any given moment in time in a normal year. At the peak of the pandemic last year, 62% said they'd experienced anxiety in the previous two weeks. The rise in anxiety over lockdown was enormous. And then things like PTSD, bipolar, other psychotic disorders, they're much, much more rare but they're still there, and they're here in our churches. This is part of normal church life. People struggling with mental illness will be down our streets, they will be in our congregations, they will be in this room, and that's normal. We're not immune as Christians, and we should never pretend that we are. Well, is it as simple as if I'm mentally healthy, Happy days—that's a good thing. And if I'm mentally ill, then that's a bad thing. Well, life is never that simple, is it? Have a look at this. Then, which uh, corner of that uh, square you think you might be in? I suppose the ideal is to be mentally healthy and to have good well-being. By good well-being, I mean you've got friends and family around you. You've got a job, or you're studying something that you enjoy. You've got a sense of purpose. You have a social life. I suppose everyone aspires to be in that top left-hand corner, don't they? You want to be mentally healthy, no diagnoses uh, to report, uh, but also to just enjoy life, to be getting out there and and engaging. But we're not all there. Some of us uh, will uh, be mentally ill, but still have good well-being. And it's important to remember this. Having a diagnosis is not a sentence to awfulness. You know, people can have a, uh, a diagnosis of depression or they can have a diagnosis of anxiety or PTSD and yet still be loved and still be included uh, in, in events and, and still to know what it's like to be able to function at work or, or to study well or to be part of a church family where they have purpose and, and can experience joy. To actually have a diagnosis uh, but good well-being, well, that's actually still a really good quality of life. And I think it's important to us to remember that actually, that sense of community, that sense of purpose that the church can give so well, can, doesn't take away the diagnosis, it doesn't take away the depression or the anxiety, but it can transform the experience of it. Knowing that we are absolutely adored beyond measure. Uh, in little ways, you may well have tasted that yourself. I, I remember when I was going through a particularly uh, uh, hard phase in my depression, I'm just having people invite me around to lunch every Sunday. They didn't make me eat lots because quite frankly, I didn't always want to eat lots, but they still invited me around. We spent a little time thanking God for the week that had gone before. I knew that I was loved beyond measure. I got to play with the, the blind sausage dog that literally just walked in a straight line until it hit a wall, and then he turned up, and he put it that direction, and it just walked in another straight line until it hit another wall. Bless him. Um,
0: and, and
1: it was just normal. I was ill but I was in the community that was supporting me every step of the way and that made life possible and sometimes it made life good. But because we're not always at the top uh, of that diagram, sometimes we're we're below the middle line. Sometimes uh, we can be mentally ill and not be well supported. Uh, And that can be a a desperately hard place to be. And I think part of the reason we saw a a big increase in mental health struggles over the pandemic was because so many of those support structures disappeared. So many of those casual kind of getting together moments weren't there anymore. So for that sense of being unwell but, but not knowing that there's a group of people around you, not having those invitations, not having that sense of purpose, Maybe the medication hasn't quite settled yet, and therefore the symptoms uh, aren't at bay. That that can be a really tough place to be. But also, actually, being someone that has no mental health diagnosis whatsoever would never get a, a sort of a diagnosis of depression or anxiety. Just being alone is hard. Not if have you, have you ever moved house to a new area, and you've got that first few weeks, which are horrible, where you just walk down the street and you know no one you don't know who to call, you don't know who to pop in on, you haven't got your new job sorted yet. you That's not a mental health diagnosis. But your well-being can easily plummet at that point and that's still a really hard place to be. And actually sometimes, in terms of quality of life, it can easier, be easier to be uh, someone with a diagnosis but, but loved than well but alone. I don't know where you fit uh, in that category, Uh, no need to say it out loud. But I guess if you are on that right hand of the diagram, please let me encourage you to go and see your doctor. If you are on the bottom of that diagram, please let me encourage you to invest in your church. And if you're on the top left of that diagram, please let me encourage you to praise God. For what is a huge privilege. Well, it's worth thinking about where um, mental health struggles come from. And I'm going to say right up front everyone who speaks on this subject will have a slightly different take. So if you disagree on me and you lean slightly more towards a, a, a medical model or you lean slightly more towards a, one of the many other models that are out there, absolutely fine. Uh, I do not claim to have. I'm not. I'm not a prophet here. I'm not speaking the word of the Lord. Uh, this is my understanding of Scripture uh, and my experience as a counsellor and, and as someone that struggles. Uh, and if you if you want to take a slightly different take, that is absolutely fine. But as Christians, I, I hope we can track back to the fact that life wasn't supposed to be like this. Human beings weren't designed to have mental health struggles. One of the reasons they hurt so much. It's wrong. It's We know deep in our core that this is not what we were made for. I mean, Adam and Eve in that garden, can you imagine it, just being able to walk around and and never have a, a panic attack, never to have a moment where feeling desperately sad, never to have an intrusive thought. I mean, it must have been so beautiful to experience that Genesis 1 and 2 life of perfection. But of course, Genesis 1 and 2 also reminds us that God has made us to be embodied souls. Uh, Basically, that just means we have an outer fleshy bit uh, and an inner bit where we think and feel and desire things. Uh, And that means uh, that we are designed to actually work both in our bodies but also in our
0: minds as well.
1: And those two things interplay off each other. I mean, we know that, don't we? Uh, When our bodies go and something goes wrong, we feel a bit down. What happens in our flesh impacts our emotions and our feelings. And we know it the other way around too, don't we? When we're struggling with anxiety or depression, it comes out in our bodies. The two things are very connected. And so the fact that God has made us to be embodied souls means that when we're struggling with our mental health, we should expect the roots of those struggles to be both in our bodies and in our hearts. We are both of those things. Of course, uh, the other wonderful thing about Genesis 1 and 2 is that we were in perfect relationship with God. Uh, And again, that must have been wonderful, walking in the garden, chatting to God. Uh, Can you imagine uh, just how glorious that would be? And of course, that's not there anymore. And that's going to impact us. And and please don't hear me say I think all mental health struggles are spiritual. I'm not saying that at all. But there are spiritual aspects to our relationships. And that impacts everything. The good news is, uh, we're heading to Revelation 21 and 22. We're not there yet, but one day, one day we will be there. There is a future ahead of us that has no mental health traumas in it at all. There will come a moment where there is no more depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder. There is a future where none of us will have a psychotic breakdown, where we won't have a delusion, where we all manage to get out of bed and praise God every morning. I don't know, if, are there beds in the new creation? <laughs> I'll hold that one lightly. I'm presuming we're sleeping at some point. (laughs) But there is a sense that however much we are struggling now, it is temporary. I don't say that tritely because actually 10, 20, 30, 40, I know for some people 60, 70 years is a long time. (laughs) But actually there will come a moment where we can look back on 2,000 years depression-free, 4,000 years anxiety-free, 10,000 years without a single moment of pain. And that will be good, that will be wonderful. And one of the reasons we can keep going now is because we know that one day, one day at God's chosen timing, all the struggles will disappear. But for now, but for now we are in that bit in between. We are in, in the waiting period. Genesis 1 and 2 is a dim and distant memory. Revelation 21, could happen this afternoon, but I'm not counting on it. Uh, it might be uh, a little way away. We're in this Genesis 3 bit. We're in the bit where everything's broken. It's still good, it's still lovely. I, I got to have my quiet time with a wild rabbit this morning. I mean, how cool is that? I can tell I'm not in London anymore. Um, it's just gorgeous to go out and pray and see things bouncing around. There, are, there is joy in the world. But there is brokenness, and, and I'm guessing all of us know the pain of broken relationships. I'm not going to, but I could come round uh, to each and every one of you and go, tell me about a relationship that hurts, either in the past or in the present. You'd be able to give me an example. Maybe not lots of examples, but there'd be one, at least. Life does hurt now. Rather than spurring each other on and constantly encouraging each other and loving each other unconditionally, we say and do things that hurt each other, and that has an impact. And for some of us, that impact has been huge. Bullying, abuse, domestic violence, a a split in a, a really significant relationship. It matters. It hurts. And that impacts our mental health because it sends us messages about how loved or not we think we are. If someone is treated abusively, they easily pick up, I don't matter. I, I, I exist to be hurt. I'm, I'm just somebody else's plaything. Like, people can do whatever they want to me. I, I will never be worth anything. I'm clearly valueless. I do a lot of work with women who have... Uh, suffered domestic abuse uh, and one of them described themselves uh, as a bag of trash worthless useless dirty and if the house set fire was set fire to the one thing that nobody would ever come and save there's nothing wrong with her biochemistry but those experiences had been so painful had dragged her down so much with those Bombarding messages, that's genuinely how she felt about herself, and no wonder that she was struggling with her mental health, if that's how she thought about herself. But it's not just our relationships, it's, it's our bodies too. Uh, I have hit my 50s, 50s a little while ago, and on a very small level, I'm just discovering that my body is not as indestructible as I thought it was. The floor is now significantly further away than it ever used to be. And once I'm down there, there is not much hope of getting up without making the oo and the r ah that my grandmother used to make and used to drive me so nuts. I couldn't understand why she would do that. But on a, a, a deeper level, we do have biochemistry that is not as it should be. Our neurotransmitters don't always fire as they should. Hormones, we're all women in this room. Let's just take a moment. <laughs> I'm not the only one, am I? I'm not the only one that on some times of the month, I'm like, praise God, life is good. And on other times of the month, I'm going, I hate everyone. (laughs) I I had a particularly bad day at work in my previous job. Um, Thankfully, my students didn't know why. Um, But I, I clearly, with my body language, was giving off an absolutely exasperated look when someone came into the lecture late. And one of the cheekier students just leant over and went, don't poke the bear. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was that day. Don't poke the bear. But actually, for some of us, it's, it's more than a joke, isn't it? For some of us, it's just devastating for a few days. The tears, the completely irrational thoughts that go through our mind, that sense that everyone is against us. And then for those of us on the older end of the spectrum, in our 50s, we have that delight of of going through uh, the menopausal changes, which is, I think, two quotes on Facebook basically sum up what life is like at the moment. Uh, The first quote on Facebook was, If I knew how much of my 50s I was going to spend sobbing on the bathroom floor, I would have bought different tiles. (laughs) I can really relate to that. Uh, Or there is that sense of the menopause is like being a teenager. You just don't slam the door quite so hard because you're scared about putting your shoulder out. (laughs) It feels devastating. And as women, we have to deal with that day by day. And then, of course, there are um, uh, lots of other biochemical uh, things that can go wrong. We we could be on medication that has a side effect uh, of producing anxiety or depression. Uh, We could have some uh, medical condition Uh, that actually changes the way we think. I mean, they're they're fairly rare, but things like brain tumours can have quite a a profound effect. Though if you're feeling anxious, please don't automatically think you've got a brain tumour. It's probably not that. Um, Broken relationships, broken bodies, they are a reality. Broken experiences, life is just hard. Life is stressful, we've had a pandemic. No one could have prepared us for that. It drags us down. And then we have broken desires as well. We have things coming out of us. Well, we want things, don't we, that aren't good for us sometimes? I'm contentedly single at the moment. I haven't always been contentedly single. I've always been single. It's the contentment bit that's changed. Um, I really I am enjoying the single life now. But there have been times where I've told God that if I can't be married, then clearly he's giving me a second vessel. A recipe for discontent it's a recipe for sadness and bitterness god's never promised me a husband in some levels it's probably quite a good idea that he hasn't given me one because i'm on the road every week and every weekend i'd never actually see him but if i tell god lord i'd like a husband happy days that's a great prayer to pray if i tell god well actually if you don't give me a husband then i'm not going to trust you then that's really going to add weight to our depression or our anxiety or our mental health struggles. There's stuff coming out of us that we need to be mindful of as well. Well, almost time uh, for you to do some more uh, chatting to your neighbour. But if that's what mental health is, let's have a look at what it feels like. If we're someone struggling with our mental health, or one of our friends is, we're likely to be seeing outer changes and inner changes in that, peop- that person's life. The outer changes might be physical ones, that that real tenseness in the neck if you have anxiety. Uh, It might be speech changes, I'm such an idiot, I can't get anything right, everyone hates me, I'm just so worthless and pathetic, a sign that we are not uh, thinking mentally healthily at that point. We might have relationship changes, we might want to hold people close and feel we need people desperately or push them away because we can't bear have anyone around. Our worship might change. How dare you God?
0: How dare you
1: give me something this hard? Or maybe even, yeah, God hates me too. Clearly he hates me. If he puts me through this. Of course there will be uh, inner changes uh, as well. The way we view others, the way we view ourselves. So why don't you chat to the person next to you again, Uh, and I'd like you to do this, to think about depression and to think about what some of the outer and inner changes might be. And we will do a little bit of feedback from this, but you only have feedback if you feel confident enough to do so. This side of the room, can you start with outer changes? So what are some of the outwards physical signs and symptoms of depression? And this side of the room, can you be thinking a little bit more about uh, the inner thought processes? How would it feel? How would you be thinking about God, yourself, and others? Just a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's uh, come back together
1: again. And we'll share some of the uh, ideas that you've been coming up with. Well, this side of the room, uh, in no particular order, do you wanna just shout out some of what the outward signs of depression uh, might be? And I think I'm being recorded, so I might just repeat what you say. It's not that I haven't understood it, but just as a mic just. say. Uh, what are some of the, the signs? Struggling to do anything. Yeah, struggling to do anything. Motivation, progressing the day, actually focusing on stuff can be just hard, yeah. Very defensive. Yeah, you can feel like the whole world is against you and almost you want to kind of batten down the hatches and it uh, can it's gonna be a tendency to lash out sometimes uh, if life is hard.
0: Globalising things like sort of never or yes. like everyone always or, yeah. Yes.
1: It, it, depression is often life at the extremes, isn't it? Everyone hates me. Not Or if you do one thing wrong, I get everything wrong. Yeah. Globalising is a good word. Yeah. Hunched shoulders, yeah, they're just that posture of of feeling quite downcast.
0: Mm Yeah, Dark shadows under the
1: eyes. Yeah, possibly dark shadows on the eyes, uh, possibly just not sleeping. Or sleeping too much sometimes. Um, Finding it hard to wake up. Anything else? Gaining or losing
0: weight?
1: Yes, food can be a big thing in depression, can't it? So sometimes that eating and eating for a sense of comfort, but also sometimes just not being able to be bothered to cook anything at all. Uh, and just snacking here and there uh, and not having much appetite at all. Great. What does it feel like on the inside? What's our kind of thought processes? How are we going to be feeling about God and others and
0: ourselves? Yes,
1: absolutely stuck Um, and really no no idea of how to get out uh, of what you're going through. Yeah, it's, it's hard to see hope, it's hard to see God's love, it's hard to see God's care. Uh, and there might be a well-trained theological bit of our brain that goes, God is love, but it doesn't feel very loving right now, yeah. Sorry, there was another one towards that. It's been the same, much the same okay. thing,
0: that our uh, doctrine God changes.
1: yeah and that's so helpful because the bible always encourages us to see ourselves in the light of scripture but when we're feeling depressed or have some mental health struggle we often see scripture in the light of ourselves Um, and it's so easy isn't it have you ever done this uh, in a moment of anxiety you've gone to church you've heard a brilliant sermon on the sovereignty of god you've some some great song uh, which reminds you that god is in control uh, you might even have had a, a prayer time with someone going yeah let's pray because you know, god is sovereign and god is good and you go home and go everything is out of control i can't do this this is absolutely awful and and all that taught theology is completely at odds with your functional theology god is sovereign everything is out of control and we're going to be looking at a little bit of that in our second session anything else that anyone wants to add uh, from your discussions
0: Oh, you are just so
1: perfect. That's what my next slide is.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, an absolute sense of shame that we as Christians are feeling what we're feeling. There seems to be a sense that actually either this is God's judgment or we are failing God in some way. Uh, and that, I think it just ratchets us up. Um, the struggles if you're a Christian. I think it partly makes it harder for us as Christians sometimes to acknowledge what we're going through. Uh, And when we are going through it, uh, sometimes the burden feels uh, much, much heavier. These are some questions uh, that a a number of my friends or counsellors have expressed in the last few months. Is God punishing me? Does God hate me so much that he wants me to suffer like this? Am I the only one? I mean, often with things like pornography addiction amongst women, that is the thing I hear most. Um, I I had a slightly ridiculous situation in a a church I was speaking at, and I had four different conversations uh, with women from the same congregation, all saying that they were the only person in the congregation who was struggling uh, with that kind of addiction. The reality is about one in six women in evangelical churches watch pornography on a monthly basis. That is the statistics uh, that are coming in. You know, if we're struggling with those kinds of things, we are not alone. We're never the only one. And certainly when it comes to depression and anxiety, nowhere near the only one. Will I ever be well again? I mean, that's almost, you know, the the common question in suffering, isn't it? Um, But that heartfelt uh, cry. Am I a second-class Christian when I struggle to pray, read and serve? I'm I'm doing a lot of work with the Korean community at the moment. And... um, They're all up at 5 a.m. praying for an hour and a half before work. And they just keep saying to me things like, Helen, how was your your prayer walk this morning? (laughs) I got out of bed. I consider that a win. (laughs) Um, And and it's it's great. It's great that there are those prayer warriors around. We need them desperately. Uh, Keep praying if you are one. Uh, But if we're depressed or anxious, and actually it takes us an hour and a half just to escape the duvet, and that's not because we've been praying. It's because our mind has just had its, its screensaver on and we haven't been able to focus. It, it doesn't make us any less loved. Uh, we had a preaching series at my church on the Song of Songs recently. Uh, and you may know in the Song of Songs, it's basically a dialogue uh, between a man and a woman who are desperately in love. But in some ways, it's also a picture of the dialogue that goes on between God and his church. Um, and there's this beautiful... Uh, Bit where the man says to the woman, and they speak to me because I delight in hearing your voice. And that is how God sees us, even when we are flat on the floor. He delights in hearing our voice, even if it's just two words. Because he loves us. We're not second class if we're struggling. The big question of if, if life is this painful, how can God really love me? Again, that's what we were saying earlier about our flipped view. God does love us. And the hard stuff comes in the context of that love. It's not that the hard stuff is the big picture and we have to find God's love in it. The love is the context. The love is the framework in which all the difficult things happen. What's the point of all the suffering? Sometimes we can see a point, but sometimes long-term it's much harder, isn't it? And if we've got the kind of mental health struggles, which means we withdraw a little bit, we can often say... You know, can I ever have a normal relationship in the church Well, I just want to run away? I, um, after a particularly traumatic event, uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD years ago now. Uh, And just being in church was terrifying. And I didn't want to hang around for coffee. Coffee was awful. There was all these people coming at different angles, saying different things. There were children wandering around like out of control nuclear missiles. (laughs) I I did not want to be in that room. And you can work through that, but it takes time. It really does take time. And it's finding those strategies that, okay, I'm gonna sit on the end of the row near the wall, and then there are fewer people coming at me. I'm gonna have my conversations outside, not inside, so the volume is quieter. I'm gonna tell myself I'm gonna talk to one person I love and one person that looks sad, and then I'm gonna go home, and that's okay. I'm not gonna make myself stay for coffee for half an hour and talk to everybody. Just bite sizes and work on what I can. Will the church ever understand me? Well, that's what we're doing after coffee. But just before we go into coffee, so we end on a, a hope note, not a, not a sad note. Let's go into coffee knowing that we have a God who is sovereign and good. A God who is above all of our struggles and all of our church's struggles. And he is not going to leave any of us or any of our friends. Let's be confident that we have a spirit who is active in our lives. That doesn't mean taking away all the hard stuff, but, but molding us and making us to be more like Christ in the middle of it, helping us to persevere through it. We have a Bible that is sufficient for life. That doesn't mean we don't need medication sometimes. We, we will. But it tells us all we need to know for life and godliness. We have a church full of people who spare us on yes they get it wrong sometimes yes they get it horribly wrong sometimes but they're there and we have a wider world full of wise medics and more and that means there is hope in this life and the next and what we're going to do after coffee is we're going to remind ourselves of our calling as a church to be a community that that loves and walks alongside people We're always gonna look a little bit about how we can take care of ourselves. Not in the self-centered, self-care, worst sense of that word. I'm not gonna serve you because I need a massage today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in that godly sense of, God wants us to be thriving. God wants us to be doing sustainable sacrifice. So what steps can we make to make sure that is genuinely sustainable? I'm gonna pray in a minute. Uh, Two things just before I do. Uh, Coffee will be out there uh, where you came in. Uh, Do feel free to recaffeinate or re-sugar as you see fit. Uh, We are starting again at 11 o'clock. So if you can be back in here by 11, that'd be great. And do remember there's questions uh, that you can scribble down over there. But quickly, let me pray before we have coffee. Father God, thank you that you made a perfect world. And thank you that we know we are heading somewhere perfect too. Thank you that there is no such thing as an unhappy ending for any of us who are in Christ. But Lord, we're not at that happy ending yet. We're in the bit that hurts, the bit where we're waiting. And we pray for each other, Lord, for those right now who are hurting, for those who are standing (laughs) alongside those who hurt. Father, please help us to understand you well. Help us to understand each other well and give us hearts of hope. Help us to be people who trust you in the middle of what we're going through and who see your purposes and your beauty on even the hardest of days. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.